You're listening to the Intrepid Podcast, where three product strategists help entrepreneurs by giving perspectives on design, business, and technology. I'm Jim Forrest. I'm Stephen Roger. And I'm Justin Files. Joining us today is Delcy Madden from Rest Devices. Welcome to the show, Delcy. Thank you. We're really excited. I mean, me especially because I have two 11-month-year-old twins. So, I mean, I've been in this... I, I've been in the sleep and sleepless baby space <laughs> exactly. uh, for almost the past year. Um, very intrigued by your product. Want to really kind of roll up our sleeves and get into what it does. So maybe that's the perfect segue to maybe you can just give us the quick pitch. Totally. So um, I, my name is Dulcie. I'm the CEO and one of the founders at Rest Devices. And what we do is we built a platform of products, a suite of products, if you will, um, targeting uh, sleep problems and therefore sleep solutions. And the first product that we brought to market is called the Mimo baby monitor and it's a onesie that a baby wears that can pick up their breathing skin temperature body position now that information goes through the cloud right to a parent's phone so you get streamed biometrics anywhere in the world right when it's happening and so that product's been in the market since 2014 we have an integration with nest so you can also see and control the room temperature and you can also see the actual video feed of what might be happening in the nursery as well in case you're interested in that um, since then, we've also added a sheet product, so it doesn't need to be a wearable, but just a smart sheet that the baby can sleep on. We're also developing something called Nod in partnership with Johnson & Johnson, which is a smart digital personal sleep coach. So for you with your twins, Jim, you know, we could say this is where your babies are, this is the kind of, of parent um, you and your partner are. Um, this is where the problems are with their baby's sleep, and then we look at it and give you a customized solution every day for what you can do to achieve certain goals. Um, and that's where we're at. Great. Very cool. So the first question that I have for you is I've been looking through your site. We've looked through it a couple of times at this point. Um, and at least the first product that you had was a onesie. The second one uh, is the blanket. Uh, can you talk a bit about the decision to incorporate the sensor into a product? Mm -hmm. um, obviously, of course, the downside is you can't go and buy like an Oshkosh onesie or whatever. Uh, the upside is, is you just buy one thing and they're kind of both in there. So what was the thought process there and, and how did you balance those considerations? Yeah, so the biggest thing is, especially when you're working with babies, but even when <laughs> we're doing initial sensor development looking at adult sleep, is that form factor is sort of the ultimate thing that you need to think about. Because if you're wearing this product every single day, it needs to be comfortable, it needs to be something that's already part of your daily routine, it needs to be something that you're already familiar with, right? Because the idea of wearable technology in 2013, 2014 was just coming out and we wanted to make it be as um, normal a part of your routine as possible. What we found is that if we were actually able to, we heat press the sensors onto the front, then it's just like a regular onesie. And so you can put it in the wash, it can go through 100 wash cycles, you treat it just like anything else you dress your baby in, and it picks up data at a really, really high level. Yeah. Super smart. I, I want to step back a little bit. Yeah. What was the problem you were trying to solve with this product? Yeah. So, um, you know, everyone talks about mega sleep problems with children. Yeah. I've been very lucky yeah. with this. So I'm curious. I'm like, what, what was the impetus of that? Yeah, so my co-founders, are, are their names are Carson and Thomas, and they were undergrads at MIT. Um, and they took a class that's essentially medical device development. <laughs> and in the class, you get paired with a physician. And the doctor that they were working with was a neurologist, a sleep doctor at MGH. And he said, I hate the sleep lab. You literally have to put on 114 different sensors. It's super confounded. It's expensive. It's takes forever to do. I want to be able to look at sleep in the context of a person's home. And I want a better way to do it that has high data, high accuracy, uh, super, uh, <laughs> but also 
really comfortable to wear and, and not going to be like a disaster. So they set about doing it, and that's how they developed the sensors. So um, we did a lot of validation testing for those, but it was what they're able to do is pick up pressure, moisture, and movement. And from those two things, paired with a ton of algorithms, we can essentially look at respiration, mm -hmm. and then we can use respiration to be able to look at sleep latency, so how long it takes you to fall asleep. If you wake up, wake sleep, obviously, REM, non-REM, and then sleep staging, mm -hmm. so we can get a ton of data from that. Um, we were looking at adult stuff initially, originally actually, and uh, we're ready to go through medical device, 510K, FDA, but then we realized that insurance was going to be a total disaster, and so we took a step back and realized that we actually had a lot of parents who were just emailing us in the middle of the night, usually at like 3 a.m., saying, I'm not sleeping, uh, can you please adapt this for me for my babies? And um, did a bunch of research, realized that parents, moms specifically, in the first year of their baby's life, lose upwards of 45 nights of sleep, wow. uh, which is bananas, I believe that. which leads to all sorts of other things. So we were like, let's, <coughs> let's figure this out. And went to it from there. Did you ever research Zio when you were doing totally, it? Totally, yeah. Because I used to work there. Yeah, yeah, yeah totally. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yep. Yep. I love your solution. Thank you. In many ways. Yeah. <laughs> there I mean I think that the I think that the form factor is a really important thing yeah. in terms of adoption. Yeah. So can you talk a little bit about sort of how you're thinking around structuring the product and um, how much sort of emotion went into it changed when you pivoted from sort of a product for adults to a product for parents for their most important possession in the world? Yeah, so like I think they, I, I honestly remember the discussion when I was like, hey, there's this new market I think we should try it out, it'd be great. And Carson and Thomas were 23 and they were like, I've never had a baby, like what's happening? <laughs> and I was like, okay, here we go. But it was amazing and it was actually really inspiring and invigorating because we were going from what was gonna be a highly regulated market mm -hmm. where you can't change a single thing to doing something for consumer development where we could literally iterate every single day. And we were also able to talk to parents and parents are so specific and honest about their feedback. Like they will say, this is great, this sucks, I want this, I don't want that, that we could get out a new prototype every day, every week, and take it to people, and they give us amazing feedback. So mm -hmm. that was pretty incredible. Do you remember any of those incidents? Yeah, yeah. so like, so it's, it's worth noting, we believe in like testing fast and testing early. Um, and so we had like maker-botted parts, like it was really <laughs> not polished. Um, and the app was like, the worst, you know? And we, and we had 10 parents who were like, yeah, totally, no, we'll test it, and I was like, driving away in the car being like, <sighs> okay. Um, but they were like, you know, it has to be softer. We want everything to be color coded. Cause if I wake up in the middle of the night, I want the entire app to be one color so I can automatically see if the baby's awake or asleep and everything's okay or not okay. Or know what the data is doing. Um, it, there was a really big thing about placement of where the turtle was gonna go. Um, lots and lots of user setup stuff. Um, Wi-Fi setup for a lot of IoT devices is still terrible. Uh, Why did you choose the hip? Uh, because it's actually, so um, this little pocket right here, so you don't want to put it on the chest or the leg or anything. People, babies really don't like things in their hands or feet. Mm -hmm. um, and if the little pocket where it goes is basically over the diaper in between the leg and the tummy. So even mm -hmm. if they are on their tummy, um, they usually don't actually feel it. And the left side is actually the side that the baby rolls on the least. Mm. So we went for it. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. I guess uh, you kind of touched on it a little bit, uh, you know, via the parents, but 
What's it like user testing a product when the user can't talk to you and tell you the feedback about it? I mean, is it very observational? Um, are yeah. you, do you have to filter everything through the parents, or are you doing observational studies, or how does that work? Well, the, yeah, there's two pieces to it. One is we get all the data on the back end, so we can see it. So we can see, um, like, A, what's actually happening, and B, we did a lot of testing against... Um, video, right? So that we could say, okay, does it look like the baby's awake or not awake? And is, are the sensors doing what they're supposed to do? And then the second thing is a lot of stuff around um, qualitative from a parent saying like, do you feel like this is okay? Is this comfortable? Because a huge part of it is parent perception, right? Um, and just being as open to feedback as possible. Yeah. I guess that was kind of my second question. Yeah. If, if a huge part of it is parent perception, is your user a baby or is it a parent of a baby? Totally a parent. It's yeah. a parent. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The, I mean, the babies are usually like, okay, whatever. You know. <laughs> um, it's all about the parent. Um, and so, especially for what we're doing now is sleep training. And even for Mimo, a huge part of it is not increasing stress or anxiety, right? So everything we do is trying to establish trust with a parent and to get them to a place where they're like, okay, I feel great. And then hopefully I'm sleeping better because my baby's sleeping better. So like every piece of marketing, every piece of app development, every piece of hardware is always with that underlying thought. Yeah. What's the biggest um, thing that you've done either from a brand positioning standpoint or from um, an app messaging or other physical product standpoint that you feel like has really generated trust and, and that understanding that I can put my confidence in your product? I think one of the biggest things actually is that we do all of our own customer support. So if oh, you wow. call our support number, you get one of the members of our team. Like you could get me, you could get my co-founders, you could get Richie, Mike, whoever. Um, and so we always pick up the phone. I mean, if, like honestly, if you call at 3 a.m., we might, but maybe not. But um, otherwise, you will always get a phone call from one of us, and we will always either fix your problem or immediately put in, into a bug report to fix as soon as humanly possible. And I think that that's been really good, and especially when we were launching. Um, you know, there's a lot of support stuff that you have to do in terms of router setup. Um, yeah. That, like, for our target population of moms, like, in all honesty, like, I'm not stoked about setting up a router. So, like, I knew that none of our moms were going to be excited about it. Either. Especially with mom brain. <laughs> yeah, and if you're like holding a screaming baby, right? Like, you want someone who's going to be like, okay, let me break it down for you in these two steps. Um, I think that's been really helpful. Um, I think that trying to be not using any kind of fear marketing has also been something that's been really, really helpful. Mm -hmm. And I think that there's a lot of companies who can and will do that and we just like refuse to do it even if it you know doesn't drive sales the same way you may be practicing the highest form of ux where it's like <laughs> inpatient mom who has a screaming baby i mean it's like if, if you design for that oh, and yeah. succeed yeah what can't you design for exactly um, yeah i'm curious about um the nod Mm -hmm. app. Yeah. Um, I did download it and I didn't think I had much success oh, at yeah, that time. Beta. Yeah, yeah you um, I really tried. Yep. But I'm very curious about it because there's a lot of integration that goes into that. So talk to me a little bit about that ecosystem. Yeah. So with Nod, um, so we're working in partnership with Johnson & Johnson and the great thing that they brought to the table is they, they worked with about 30 of the leading pediatric sleep experts in the country. And so what our users were saying was, data's great, this is awesome, but I want to be able to actually have step-by-step -step process to know how to solve my baby sleep. And we were like, well, we've got data, we've got the largest infant sleep database, we've got all the algorithms and the software in the world that we can use to figure this out, but we're not sleep experts and we want to make sure we're doing this in a, a validated, trustworthy way. And so we said, we want to use your people, <laughs> basically. Um, we made that happen. And so what we're able to do is we do a lot of parent typing work to figure out where you are as a parent, are you a co-sleeper? Do you want to mm -hmm. let your baby cry it out? Is that something that just rips you apart from the inside? Mm -hmm. um, what's your daily routine that you do for both nap time, bedtime, everything? 
how old's your baby, where are they in their sleep pattern, and then every day we say, these are the three things that you can do to achieve a goal, this goal. Um, and so it's tons and tons of data, lots and lots of machine learning, lots and lots of content. Can I, can I ask just one final mm-hmm. question about that? Yeah. So you have the largest database yeah. of, of sleep data for children. Yeah. What's one revelation that you've made through this data? Um, babies wake up, I mean, and this is already, this is already something that's reported, being able to see it's pretty amazing. Babies wake up all the time and they just don't necessarily let their parents know. It's just, you know, they do that. Um, we've seen lots of funky different breathing stuff that we weren't expecting. Um, uh, and then just the looking at the sleep curves over time, the way their sleep develops is actually pretty repeatable all the time. And cultural differences are a big deal. Mm. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit more about the cultural differences? Yeah. I mean, I think one of the biggest things is if you're thinking about... Every culture approaches sleep differently. And so, you know, if you're working on this in the Middle East versus North America versus Asia versus Europe um, versus South America, like, you know, it comes back to co-sleeping, it comes back to breastfeeding, not breastfeeding. Feeding is really impactful on that. Um, it comes back to are there two partners involved? Is it literally just a mom? Let's just, like, you know, what's happening with the baby? Um, is there a nanny that's going to be running the show? You know, like there's a whole bunch of different stuff that's out there. Um, and it just affects every interaction that you have with your baby. And so you have to be super mindful of all the options there. Which culture is the best sleepers? Oh my God, I'd have to look. They're all basically the same. Because I do the, the French yeah. method, yeah. Um, and my babies sleep really well, but I don't know if that has yeah. anything to do with the French method well, or not. Well, that's the thing, you know? yeah. Right, you don't know if it's you or if it's a baby, or if you're just like, it's totally random. Right. Yeah, yeah, totally. Exactly. And that's the thing that's also really hard, is there's a lot of parents who are like, my first baby was a total champ, and now my second baby is like literally right. will not sleep for more than four minutes at a time. Mm. Um, it just A lot of it depends on the physiology of the kid, too. Right. Yeah. Um, I have a question about sort of your database and, and how you treat the data. So presumably you have, perhaps perhaps we might refer to it as a data lake. I don't know. <laughs> no, that, that's an inside joke from a former uh, podcast. Um, so um, you, you have a, all this data, and it's presumably like anonymized or aggregated in some way. Um, what do you, are, are there like regulations around that, or can you like open source that data for people, or, or how would you go about you know making that have hmm. the biggest impact that you possibly could? Um, I honestly never thought about open sourcing it. So we think about it. So we keep everything anonymous um, and de-aggregated. And so the, the, the number number one thing that we want to be able to do is that for every for most sleep studies that are done for infants, it's like sample size of 12, right? So because it's so hard to work with babies, the sample sizes are so, so, so little. So um, we've seen a ton of interest from a lot of researchers who want to be able to, to use that as sort of a normative data set. Um, the second thing is that um, parents right now are able to see height and weight percentiles. And the biggest thing for a lot of parents is, am I normal? Is my baby normal? I just want some reassurance. So really thinking about being able to do that for sleep. And that's something we're working on now, which is super exciting. Um, right now, we keep everything. Um, we don't share it with anyone. Right. It, and I think that we could probably ask people. Parents are generally pretty if this is going to improve where the science goes. Uh, we've seen that they're pretty receptive to that. But right now, we just hold it all us. Yeah. I guess like kind of the, the corollary to that question is you mentioned, um, you know, the Nod app being something to kind of address the issues uh, that people experience and that they now know because they've got the data to see it. That's one thing that we've encountered a lot when we've looked at wearables and how people mm-hmm. use wearables. You know, you're wearing this wrist thing and you're going for a run. It's great. Your heart rate was this. What does that mean? Yeah, like, totally. yeah so what? Like, yeah. What, do you, what do you do on that? What do you think the big barrier is between right now, uh, 
getting that data and being able to action on it? Is it that your doctor's access to that data or parents' access to that data? Is it people's lack of knowledge? Is it people's lack of ability to connect that data to the knowledge sets that are out there? What do you think the big barrier is on the, on the mass market? I think the biggest thing is that finding information you can trust is pretty tricky. So like there's, you can you can go see a sleep specialist. Those are like a couple thousand dollars, take three months to get into at which point, like if you've been not sleeping for three months for where you were already like, I'm not sleeping, <laughs> right. you're in meltdown city. Sleep coaches are $350 an hour, but they're not actually trained, right? It's sort of like a, do this. Yeah. Um, the internet's wicked scary as a parent. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it, it's you can find anything that's going to yeah. lead to anything that's like your baby has cancer and you're like, oh my God. Um, <laughs> and lots of parents aren't actually going to read a 400 page sleep book. So um, the biggest thing I think is access to information that's tailored for you and, and that you know is actually going to be trustworthy. I think the other thing is, you know, actionable stuff. If you're, if you're an adult wearing a Fitbit or something like that, like, you are 100% in control of what you want to do and it comes down to whether or not you're going to change it and your willingness to change it. Right. If you're a parent, you're actually focused on another being uh, who you can 100% control based off of like a series of behavioral interactions and their mm -hmm. development. And it's much more goal oriented in terms of like, I want to sleep. Mm -hmm. um, so it's kind of a weird thing. So can you talk yeah. a little bit about how you took sort of this great corpus of both data and research mm -hmm. and realize that people can't consume the 400 page books right. and bubble that all the way down to here's three things that you need to do each day and how you pick sort of what the right level of information was to give people enough confidence that you guys had done your research while not overwhelming them with information. Yeah, so it's like a, it's like a three-step process. So the one, most parents want something that they don't have to do a lot of computation about. Mm -hmm. So it's like two lines of do this, right? And if you trust the system, they can be like, hey, I'm going to do that. Um, there's a lot of parents who are readers and researchers, so then it's like you always click on it, and then there will be more information that's like, this is a background, this is a science, this is why we're recommending this, it's because you said this, mm -hmm. it, and, you know, respond to it this way, and is this working for you? And, and then the third thing is, is actually letting them know who are, you know, the scientists and clinicians who are behind it. Um, but we know that parents either want a little bit, and then they want to dig later, or they'll always want to dig, but you have to sort of be able to give them a high line and then go on from there. It's about, it's a gajillion, I mean, that's a terrible word because it's not scientific at all, <laughs> but there's so many variables, and especially if you think about baby sleep environment, that you have to basically create a variable for every single thing and look at it. I'm, I'm curious about the content strategy for mm -hmm. this because yeah. I, I tend to think that there's the proactive versus the reactive methods, yeah, totally. right? So it's like, you know, I read the, the Sleep Lady book. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, that's an overstatement. Juliet read this <laughs> yeah. and I skimmed it. Yeah. Um, so that was a definitely like a proactive yeah. view of the next phase, right? Yep. But I tend to think that you're giving like to the second, yeah. re you could have reactive information. Yep. So that means that there must be trigger points. There has to be some sort of sensitivity threshold of first time this happens, seven time this happens, not an issue. Yes. Like, how do you deal with that? Like, that seems very complicated. Yeah, it is. So the, the first thing is, one, we want to be able to provide preparatory information. So as your baby's getting to be like two and a half months, if you're swaddling, it's like, we get out ahead of that and say, this is something you should start thinking about. This is a goal that you might want to be thinking about or something you might want to change. You know, doing a lot of the proactive information to be like, you know, and, it, and I'm a mom and I should know this because I work and sleep, but it, I'm still so like, you know, I'm like, wait, I was supposed to do that? What? <laughs> Why didn't anyone tell me? 
You don't take your work home. No, it's <laughs> terrible. Uh, but uh, that's what the apps were. <laughs> it's very self-serving. The second thing is the, the goal um, is, and this is what we're working on now, and it's pretty complicated in that moment, right? So if you are at 3.30 in the morning and your baby is just totally losing it, you're in the middle of a process and you're like, do I go in, do I rub their back, do I feed them, do I not, how long do I let them cry for? Is that gonna totally make them more upset? And being able to basically text the app and say, you know, this is what my problem is, and based on behavior to date, we can say do this, 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 and this. And it changes over time. Um, and it's crazy. I mean, like, right now, that's what I do with my husband, right? And it's like, you know, 40,000 texts about what I'm supposed to be doing about mm-hmm. sleep. Again, even though I know what I'm supposed to do, you just need a reaffirming present mm-hmm. from someone else. And it's, it's all about the parent. Yeah. I, I can comment on that because I do yeah. think even if you're proactive about things, when you get woken up at 3.30 in the morning and, and all you want to do is go back to sleep, sleep and you've been listening to your monitor for seven minutes and you go, this is the moment yep. I'm going to go in and then you're just like... All, all of your past experience, or at least with me, yep, so much of it goes out the window because you're just, you're, you're not conscious in the right way. No, right? yeah. Um, and it's really hard. And like my partner, my husband, he can listen to the baby like lose it indefinitely. Mm-hmm. You know, like he's like, it doesn't bother me. And I'm like, literally, I think I might have a heart attack. Also, yeah. I have highs and like, you know, like this is like literally breaking the spirit inside of me. <laughs> and he's like, you're crazy. And I'm like, well, we got we got to fix it. <laughs> that, that's so. I do have a different threshold than Juliet. Yeah. Uh, you know, hers is like a two minute threshold. Yeah. Definitely a nine minute. Yeah, you know? I'm like seven, and then <laughs> yeah. I'm like, okay, that's it. We're gonna do something. Yeah. How, how does that impact the onboarding? That I'm assuming you're asking one macro onboarding question that may have two different answers based on who's completing the onboarding. It's true. Yeah. So it's a lot of it is like who is the primary mm. parent who's gonna who wants to set what's gonna happen because yeah. it's it's really 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 different. And then the other thing you have to think about is that you could have a caregiver who's sort of the third leg of this, and it could be a grandparent, someone at daycare, a nanny, whatever, uh, who all needs to be on the same page because you want to establish a pattern. Um, it's, a lot, it's a lot of typing, basically. And, and how has the different user types influenced the ways that you guys are, are sort of managing data and logins such that you're getting the right people access to the right information without maybe having the nanny be able to access information on the baby sleep over the weekend. Yeah, right now it's all unified. Um, at some point we're going to break it out um, because especially as we're doing like a little bit more stuff on the mom side, mm-hmm. um, we want to make sure that we have different sort of levels, like yeah. you said, but right now it's all one big profile. Um, but we're, we also are assuming, and this is, could be a big assumption, but the assumption was that if you're the one setting up doing a lot of the initial typing work, mm-hmm. that it was probably not going to be a caregiver. It's going to be one of the, pri- the primary parents. So, yeah. so I love what you had said about um, the, the, the UI of the app being very obvious what's going mm-hmm. on through color. I remember an anecdote from when I was in school. I was in school for computer science, and we, we didn't take any design courses at the time, which is probably a mistake, but we took, <laughs> uh, we did take some like interaction and UX courses, and yeah. one of the ones that I took was human-computer interactions, um, and I remember like one specific like, day, the whole thing was you can't use color alone to communicate things. And then I remember the first day that I saw the stock trading app Robinhood. Yeah. And they do an amazing thing. So um, all of the line art in it, all of the graphs and everything are green if you're up for the day and red if you're down for the day. And if the stock market is closed, it has a dark theme. And if the stock market's open, it has a light theme. And that was the most brilliant thing I had ever seen. And I, it just, it made me question everything yeah. that, that I had learned in this interactions thing. 
Um, can you talk a bit about, I, I guess this, I don't really have much of a question other than, can you talk about how you're going to use color? Do you reinforce it with iconography and so forth? And, and how do you do that? Yeah, so color for us, we found that it is the single most intuitive zero thought process thing that you can do to get someone to know what's happening. So in Mimo, if the baby's sleeping, the entire app is purple. If they're awake, it is like a greenish color. If, if something's charging, it is orange. If it's disconnected, it's totally gray, right? Um, and we found that that's the single, if, if parents can do, look at that, then they automatically infer everything that's happening, and then they don't have to worry about anything else. Um, same thing in Nod, where you know the being able to use color is such a huge benefit, especially if you're holding a screaming baby, so that you're not trying to like, you know, like read something and be like, ugh. Um, and there's also a lot of positive and negative color associations, right? Like we never use red. Like right. no way, Jose. Like it's super medical. It means like terrible things for sensors. Like just stay away from it. Um, and you just sort of have to test things from there. Um, um, so then my, you had mentioned a lot about uh, cultural differences. How do you incorporate cultural differences into colors? Yeah. And how do you, um, I lost my train of thought. How about cultural, let's just go yeah. with cultural differences. <laughs> oh yeah, so well right now it's where we're doing primary testing and with US market. So it's basically like looking okay. at that. Like I think that as we expand that we probably will do more testing, but we're so small that you know we can't do crazy amounts of UI testing in Asia. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but the other thing we do with color is that because um, a lot of moms are using the, the app when they're up at night breastfeeding, um, we basically switch to a night view. And so everything is, it's like Google. So if you're either reading or entering something or doing whatever, it's basically all dark with, with colors that aren't quite as assaulting on your eyes. I, I know what the other thing is. I was going to say color blindness. So how do you compensate for that, especially if... Um Totally. Like red green colorblind is really really difficult to design for. Yeah, red green is super tough. Totally didn't. <laughs> so. That's cool. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Added to Jira. Exactly. So well, spe speaking of green, yeah. I just need to know yeah. how did the turtle come up? Totally. So there was so much debate because we wanted a, a animal that was like really friendly, um, that seemed sort of protective, and that would have like a good sort of aura for the mm -hmm. animal world. But what actually ended up happening in the industrial design was that turtles have a tail. Um, mm. And so the way that it, that, that it goes onto the onesie, the only way you can pull it up is, that, is if you actually pull the tail. So mm. if you're looking at babies or even toddlers, they don't have enough fine motor control to be able to pull it up. And even though the turtle's not a choking hazard, mm. it was like a really nice element of design that worked out well. I'm curious about notifications. I'm still gonna hop back on that because I think, when I think about nighttime notifications, usually, you know, in iOS, mm -hmm. do not disturb mode kind of defaults for a lot of us to be yep. off. And I think for many of parents, mm -hmm. I assume, we use monitors. We use like an external system. Mm -hmm. um, so how do you get around, I mean, do you have to keep, is yeah, there any yeah, workaround? Yeah. There's no workaround. We've tried yeah. forever. Mm -hmm. um, and it really stinks. Like it's just, yeah. you can't, you, they don't let you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it, it just seems like the, the only the only bummer about nighttime stuff. I mean, because yeah. ultimately what you're saying, like for me, there's the the audible alert system, yeah. which is the baby themselves. Yep. But then there's the, you know, temperatures. I've been totally. dealing with temperatures lately. Yeah. And, the, you know, usually a one-to-one -one correlation to crying, or, but it's not always the case, right? And so. rolling over is a really big one, too, right? Mm. Like parents want to know, especially when their baby's really little, if they roll over onto yes. their tummy. Yes. Um, and there is not necessarily any sort of audible correlation to that. Um, it really stinks. There's, like, no way to... Yeah. Yeah. What's the best idea that doesn't work yet that you've had, your team? I just want to be able to, like, 
well, it's like a, it's an I, stupid iOS system, but you should just be able to like allow one thing to get around do not disturb. Like, yeah, I don't know why they don't do that. Like, like they do allow if you, the same call, number calls you twice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's it's almost too bad that there isn't something in the medical space that you know. Yeah, that just lets you do that. Yeah, we'll get there. Uh, I wonder if you could do that though. I wonder if you could just use Twilio to just call the phone two times, right? Or something like that. Yeah, there's a bunch of like calling stuff that we could ultimately do, but that starts to get. Oh, it's, ridiculous. it's a hack. It's a complete. No, but that's actually a good hack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but then if you're doing calls and stuff, that can sometimes get a little bit into a gray regulatory area. Sure. So you talked a little bit about sort of the industrial design process and how sort of iterating on what you wanted the brand to represent, like, like very uh, was very co- the cycle between that and the design and, and actually prototyping things was very core. Um, I'd love to hear a little bit about sort of how being in Boston, a company that came out, uh, if not out of MIT, at least yeah. with a lot of MIT people, sort of helped you guys um, perhaps cycle through that more quickly and yeah. how it might have impacted you as opposed to if you had started in you know, New York City or somewhere else. Yeah. Um, so I think that because we're local, um, people sort and if you have like an MIT backing, then people are sort of like, okay, they sort of know what they're doing. Um, more importantly, we worked with, um, there's like a ton of companies around here who do lots of great manufacturing stuff, which is helpful, but we work with all local manufacturing. Mm. And so especially as we were going through the plastics design process and the apparel, like it was really easy to iterate through really quickly to get to manufacturing. Because from when we first started thinking about baby and adapting everything to be for babies until we had things on the shelf, it was about 16 months, which is kind of crazy fast. So um, especially because we were shipping to like the biggest baby retailer in the US. so that let us get things through really, really, really quickly. And I thought that was great. Um, there's also just a ton of expertise here in terms of being like, can you recommend that? Is this good? Is this going to be a disaster? Like, what else do you think? And people are always open here. I generally think that the douche factor is pretty low in Boston, which is helpful. Thank you. Agree with yeah. Very helpful. Mm-hmm. Could I hop on the manufacturing? Because yeah. I see a total parallel to Zio, yeah. where you start with a wearable. Mm-hmm. And, and then the, the second iteration, when I was at Zio, the hope was to put the sensor in the mattress, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Or in the mat. Can you talk about like the difference there? And in, in definitely there is a difference in the, the sensing, right? Yeah. So it's like what, what decision making led to the mat? Yeah. So um, the primary thing for the form factor for that is we had a lot of parents who were like, I want to be able to have a backup solution in mm-hmm. case the baby falls asleep or um, we're totally out of laundry or just something sure. that I can always use no matter what. Yeah. And the level of data accuracy, like the, um, not accuracy, but the level of like data depth is not the same, yeah. um, but it's good. And so we can tell you like 80% of the same amount of information, but it was just sort of like people wanted to be able to have right. a couple options. Well, at Zia, one of the big fights that we all used to kind of have internally is like perfect accuracy, right. where our, the headband at that time was really good, yep. was the best that you could get from you yeah. know, not being in a sleep lab, but people were putting apps on their mattresses yeah. and getting about 86% exactly. accuracy, mm-hmm. yep. and ultimately the consumer said, that's fine, yep. um, and maybe there's something like that going on too. Yeah. Maybe, what's the ratio of sales versus... There's a lot of so the the crib mat, the crib sheets also 179 the the monitor products 199 we have a lot of people who sort of jerry rig it and do the sheet plus 
refill kimonos, which is $29.99. Like, they get, like, all of it for less. <laughs> um, so there's, like, consumer pricing that's happening that's pretty interesting. Uh, but we still see more people doing the kimono just because they, they like, literally want to be able to see everything. Yeah. yeah. I think the difference there, too, is, like, babies need to wear the onesie to bed anyways, whereas you don't need to wear a headband that looks ridiculous to bed. <laughs> it's, it's true. <laughs> and you shouldn't. <laughs> but... Uh, all right, let's take the conversation to style mm-hmm. um, because I do think that aesthetic is a big part of it's huge. baby culture yeah. too. Of yeah. like, you know, everyone loves buying cute things and whatnot. Um, what are you doing from the fashion sense for these onesies? Oh, gosh, yeah. So we went with the kimono, but that was actually um, for durability. So like, if you think about, you know, when you, for the twins, when you put the onesie mm-hmm. over their head, you're basically constantly straining the fabric. Yeah. And so if you do a kimono style, there's less strain that happens, yeah. and so it extends the life. Um, those were also tested really, really well with users because they can be a lot easier to put on, even if they have three more snaps. Um, and we did organic cotton, the whole shebang, super soft, super cute. Mm-hmm. Um, tons of parents were like, we want to be able to have any kind of onesie. And so when we were initially getting started, people were like, well, can't you just apply the sensors to Do whatever? But there is too, way too much user error. It like mm-hmm. never tested well ever. Um, and it ultimately comes down to like I would love to be able to do an integration with like Carter's or like Baby App or yes, thank you, <laughs> that'd be great. I would so love that. Uh, Zutano, like anyone, you know. Yeah. But um, it comes down to like skew and inventory holding costs. So someday we'll get there. Um, sure. I mean, you are you are still a startup. Yeah. Are you trying <laughs> exactly. to be lean? <laughs> trying to work on it, but I mean that's sort of the goal, right? And we've seen even just beyond we have um, long sleeve, short sleeve. We have a few different colors. But a lot of parents also want like footy pajamas, right? Or like yeah. a sleep sack, or like there's like a few different iterations that we can do. That'd be right. good. Yeah. For yeah. those of the people that are listening to the podcast that, like myself and Steven, do not have a child, um, and Steven are cool. has a puppy. He has a puppy. It's, I have a kimono too. And a, <laughs> and a, kimono, and a puppy kimono. Yeah. It's the weirdest thing. Exactly. <laughs> they got to be and and are wondering what Jim meant when he said fashion and, and style is really important for babies. I anecdote. I was in the Dubai mall two weeks ago and I went down this thing and I'm like oh fine. okay I found the Zara uh, there was like a Gucci there was like all these things next to each other and I look and I'm like wait these are all this is the baby aisle there was there was a baby Gucci and a baby Zara and a baby like Valentino like they were all right there on the thing it was the most ridiculous yeah. thing I had ever seen I didn't know it was a thing there's baby it's a big Burberry thing. yeah there's baby everything huh. yeah I mean strollers can cost like 1600 bucks like, oh yeah, there was a crazy stroller uh-huh. store that like they yeah. look kind of old, but they're yeah. technical. So you can buy a onesie for like two hundo, no problem. Mm. Yeah, uh huh. Yep, not so. The price sensitivity like is both low and high. <laughs> <laughs> so how long does a baby have to wear this? So I guess you know what we find in most uh, you know fitness monitors, etc. That there's there is a definite cliff to the usage, right? Like high engagement, then it kind of tails off. Um, is that happening to you? Do you see any sort of sine wave experience where people pick it up? Yeah. What, what's the usage pattern? So we'll see. Um, we'll see. Like the average lifetime is like nine months, um, and that could be because size stuff, whatever. But um, at that point, then babies are generally pretty like super yeah. robust. Yeah. You know, like they're crawling, they might be walking. Yeah. Um, we do know that um, we've had a couple users have who have like stressed their stuff out so that they can do it for 18 months. Like we have some power users who are like crazy power users who are awesome. Um, for the most part, it's sort of like the six to nine month band. Um, and for some parents, it's probably like 30, 
Oh, I don't want to say a number, but they're like once babies are able to start rolling over yes. repeatedly okay. three to four months, there's like a cliff there, and then there's a cliff that's like you know crawling, doing whatever. Yes. Um, for Nod, we haven't been in the market for long enough, but I definitely think that there will be people coming back as there are sleep regressions um, over time, and there will be some people who again track and do stuff forever, and some who are like, hey, cool, my baby's sleeping, then my baby got sleep, got sick, and so now everything's all screwed up, so like I need to start over or do whatever. It seems pretty natural. Yeah. We do have an incredible number of parents who really want the, um, the, the MIMO system for toddlers. Um, mm-hmm. And there's also been a lot of interest from inbound from parents saying there's no solution for home in-home epilepsy and seizure monitoring. Mm-hmm. So lots mm-hmm. and lots and lots of people want that. Um, but that's there's like so many things that... Your yeah. is not supporting that. Right yeah, now. we'd love to do it. It's just like, you know... Epilepsy has like a gajillion different things that you can look at, and it work, require like a lot of science. It would be interesting. We just start too small. Well, can you talk about that? Because I, I assume what you're saying a little bit is, at, at, in the beginning of the interview, yeah. or you talked about the Nest camera and the yeah. integration to kind of say like, okay, the monitor, we're in sync. Can you talk about the Nest cameras integrate? Like, what is that giving you? Is there any insights there? Yeah. Yeah, so one of the biggest things that affects um, infant sleep is actually temperature. And so for the Nest thermostat, that's right. been super great in terms of being able to look at that and say, is the room too warm, too cold? Mm-hmm. Um, and then for the camera, um, you can either like go right to the, your live stream or it, it presents a moment when there was a movement right. or the baby woke up or did whatever. So it's not anything that's like crazy awesome and Nest doesn't let you store any of the data. You have to dump it within 10 days. So there's not like a ton of backwards looking data stuff we can do which is totally a bummer um but yeah it, that's where it's at we do see a ton of people integrating through ifttt um or you yes. know me like lots of okay baby's asleep now the lights are going to turn off and then i'm going to turn on my white noise or i'm going to do something with a humidifier or what yeah there's lots of people who like Android watch, whatever, you know who make it happen which is cool yeah now are you getting that information from sort of talking to users, or are you actually able to see that manifesting in the data some way? Both. So we, through the partnerships, like, you know, maybe we can see, like, where we are, and they've been, like, people are using this stuff like crazy for you guys. And then we also talk to a lot of users, which is kind of cool. So there's lots of, there's lots of, like, baby hacking that happens, because there's so little technology that's developed for the space in general. Hashtag baby hacking. Yeah, hashtag baby <laughs> hacking, exactly. What are the larger ambitions for this project? Uh, one, to be able to help parents get to sleep. Uh, two, to be able to tackle sleep like as an entire vertical. And I think there's just so much. The science isn't particularly great. And for adults also, it's a really crowded, crappy space, as you know. Um, and there just needs to be a better way to think about it. Um, so we'd love to be able to, to make that happen. Uh, one of the things that, uh, or two, two things that we'll often see people doing, um, particularly with connected devices apps, um, but in general, uh, that's really frustrating to users are, one, there's a login wall at the beginning of your app. So it's like, you need to create an account before I even play with this app. And mm-hmm. I know the data is important, but we always try and encourage users to get around it. And then the other is that uh, you you know need to sometimes pair to an actual device before playing with the app. And I noticed that you guys allow people a way around that. Can you talk a little bit about sort of how that came up and yeah so for Mimo yeah it was totally like you should be able to do you should be able to have a trial thing right and especially for a lot of parents they mm-hmm. want to be able to say what's this gonna look like before I use it and be I want to run a test to see if it's actually gonna work before either invest or don't return the product or do whatever else and so that was like the single biggest thing 
that we could do. For Nod, we still have to, it's still in closed beta, but we have to, that's one of the biggest things we're working on is exploring a little bit before you do it. But our biggest thing is that if you can be as transparent as possible and say, this is what we're doing, this mm -hmm. is great, then hopefully people will be like, okay, cool, we like you, we're, we're all in, rather than being like, no, it's a secret. Because um, it's your baby, like nothing's a secret, it's yours, you know, like you get to have whatever you want, yeah. Well, we want to thank you for coming in. Um, we're big fans of this product. Um, I'm 11 months in, so I think I've, I'm good on sleep right now, <laughs> but I'm going to call you if yeah. there's a regression for sure. Do. Um, so we just want to say special thanks to our guest, Delcy Madden from Rest Devices, for sharing her ideas and beautiful product with us. Thanks, Delcy. Thank, thank you. The Intrepid Podcast is produced by Intrepid, a mobile design, development, and strategy firm with offices in Cambridge, Massachusetts, and New York City. Our intro music is by Forrest James. You can visit us on the web at intrepid.io slash podcast and on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash intpd. If you'd like to be a guest of the podcast, visit our website or email us at podcast at intrepid.io.